The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Happy Tuesday to you folks. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today, so we're going to really get right into it pretty quick because what we've got today is a two-day program. We talk with Dean Bankson. He's a research scientist up at NDSU, North Dakota State University. And he's been tracking the growth of the Bakken since 2005. Just released their seventh installment of the economic impact study of the petroleum sector in North Dakota's economy and the region. So it starts with North Dakota's economy, but you can see how it percolates out. And like we discussed, it actually has international implications when you start talking about Canada and even all the way down to exporting the oil. This is a non-political study, showed an overview of the industry's impact for the past decade in areas of job growth, economic impact, government revenues, taxes, secondary workforces. So pretty much anybody who has a job in the listening audience right now, whether you're on the internet or whether you're on the radio station or whether you're streaming us on a podcast or something like that, this really does affect you because the Bakken and the Permian are really the engines behind the global innovations right now. Those two shale plays really are driving the globe's innovation. And I say globe because America's really driving the innovation and therefore we're moving ahead with it, that sort of thing. So a few of the things uh, I'll just note real quick as a preview and then we're going to get right into the interview. Uh, Bankson said all trends indicate um, that industry's coming back. Technology's being impacted and rebounding off of industry success. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a decline in the infrastructure investment, but he gets into how the pipelines and the processing plants still are getting investment, but the housing and a few of those other uh, detailed things within the infrastructure investment are not seeing hardly any investment at all. And then we talk about how the petroleum industry overall has just changed the workforce and government budgets and projects and projections and everything. And so it's a great conversation. In fact, it's a two-day conversation. So today is part one of Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist at NDSU. We're going to get right into it. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. 
Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Dean Bankson with NDSU. He's a research scientist. Dean Bankson, research scientist, North Dakota State University. One of our favorite guests here on The Crude Life in the Multimedia Cafe. We have Dean Bankson uh, with the... Uh, Professor, uh, I'm sorry, research scientist with NDSU. Been a guest, well, boy, we would go back, what, to the Minot Bakken conference back in, what was that, 13, 2013? Has it been that long ago since um, you kind of first got into the Bakken uh, studies, that sort of thing there, Mr. Bankson? It, it goes a ways back, yes, it does. Um, you know, our first... Our first peak at the industry actually uh, goes back to 2005, but we were we were kind of at the at the ground level uh, monitoring the industry when things took off in about 2009. So it's been it's been a long uh, I'd say we've been we've been looking at this industry now for about 12 years. Pretty amazing, really, when we look at the last 12 years. You know, without getting into war and peace by any means, just kind of a, a elevator escalator of an overview of the last, you know, boy, 2015. We're talking 14 years now that you guys have been studying kind of that Western North Dakota um, evolution, the Western North Dakota evolution. Just, do, do you have any comments? Just, you know, from the hip, without any you know, real time to think about it, just being being involved in the day-to-day -day part of it, what you've seen, that sort of thing. Just any thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, we've gone through a, uh, a period where we had no idea where things were going to go. Then we had the bottom fall out. Then we've had things stabilize. And so, you know, what I see now is we've kind of got some of the growing pains, some of the shock is, is wore off from what it is that we've got in the state, where's this going? And uh, I think now we're seeing, you know, more of the mature end of, of, a, of a much larger industry than anybody had foreseen, you know, five, eight years ago. So let's fast forward to today because we have a study that came out recently and I'm looking at the PDF that you sent me over and it does say North Dakota Energy Day, March 5th, 2019. So my guess is, is that this study was prepared for, for Energy Day or something along those lines. But uh, talk to me a little bit about the study and then how Energy Day got in, in, involved there. Well, I think it'd be easier to do the second part of your question first. Energy Day is uh, uh, put on by various uh, energy interests in the state as a means of trying to uh, provide some uh, information at the Capitol, um, and it serves a multitude of purposes. One, it, it provides exposure to the industries. Um, it gets some of the, the industry uh, business leaders and, and stakeholders involved in understanding how the legislative process works in the state, um, gives people a chance to interact. Um, it's traditionally been done uh, the first part of March as a means of kind of the 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 timing of when it might have the, the greatest effect in terms of being able to get their message across. Um, we've started, uh, as I mentioned, this process of looking at the industry goes back to 2005, pre-shale, pre uh, essentially. And while we never intended for the studies to be timed in a way that, that they're only available 
on Energy Day, it's turned out that with the, the timing of the data collection and the work that we've done, that it's been a good combination for us to roll out the study results uh, in, in an Energy Day type of uh, format at the Capitol. So what we did um, this year was we had the seventh uh, installment in the series that we've we've been looking at, and uh, we basically provided a, a presentation then that showed to anyone who was involved uh, changes in labor, uh, changes in business volume, changes in tax revenues. Uh, essentially, what's the footprint of the industry at this point in time? Non-political study. My guess is that's um, one of the reasons why I pointed out Energy Day, because Energy Day oftentimes gets gets very political and that sort of thing. But this study is a non-political study. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, all this all this study really does is attempt to measure the, like I said, the economic footprint. In other words, yeah. we're we're measuring information that's already occurred. We're looking at uh, adding up the number of jobs in an industry, looking at the tax revenues generated by the industry, looking at the business volume generated by the industry. And this is done uh, in a similar context to a bunch of other industries in the state. So this is not a unique exercise on our part, but uh, yes, it is non-political. Um, it's an unbiased, objective yeah. assessment of what we think the industry size is. And I just want to point that out because we do a lot of non-political. In fact, the majority, if not all of our content is non-political here on Mr. Dean Bangson. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dean Bangson with NDSU. He's a research scientist. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist, about the impact of the petroleum industry on the region, our programming, but something like this gets used as facts and figures for budgets and political bills and agendas and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of times it can be easily confused that the uh, people creating the facts and figures have a political bias or something like that. So that's why I just kind of wanted to 
uh, flesh that out a little bit before we get into the study, that this was a non-political study. This is something that's been done. It's your seventh, you said. It's been being tracked since 2005. So um, what we're about to discuss is is non-political. It's just meant to be what it is. So hopefully the people will grab the information and adjust their lives accordingly from this type of economic information. Isn't that kind of the idea of this study? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good. We're on the know, same page. Hey, when I get on the oh, same yeah, page no, with someone, I, I feel like celebrating. <laughs> this, this information, along with every other study that we do and all of the, the various industries that we take a, a portrait of, is designed to be consumed by the general public. And it's designed to be educational and informative. Um, and really what it does, it just helps identify what your economic players are in the, in the state. And what we have found in the past is, is that if there isn't a source of good information available, uh, oftentimes people will start pulling together whatever information they can find or put together whatever they think the number is. And, and we found that that's always problematic because then you've got, you know, all kinds of estimates floating out there and nobody knows whose estimate is correct. So. Um, it does serve a purpose as, as uh, you know, kind of landing uh, a piece of information that says, okay, here's what the size of this industry is, here's what this other industry does, and therefore it fills that information gap. So let's talk about this study a little bit and what some of the key takeaways are. So looking at it from your perspective, um, what would be, say, a couple of the key takeaways that you saw and then i'm going to ask you about a few a few things that um i think that probably western north dakota would like to know but just from the researcher standpoint what were some things that either surprised you validated what you had already known or just like uh little factoids that you think people should know just a, a few you know two three something like that well i think one of the things that we've been observing um and and something that went back into trying to understand what was happening with the industry when things were in their rapid expansion phase, like from 210 to 214, was a lot of people wanted to know where is the industry going to go, how big is it going to get, and so part of the, the job that we were tasked with in terms of not only estimating the size of the industry, but you know we got involved in looking at population and, and business growth and looking at forecasting. One of the things that we were saying in that is that expect the industry to become more efficient expect things to change this industry will not continue to operate at this at this type of a, of a combination of, of factors they're going to be looking to make things more efficient more streamlined less cost less overhead this is this study really i think uh is starting to show the first signs of of those trends and it really shows to me the maturing of the industry we went through a massive price collapse in 215 that led to tightening of the belts that forced the industry to become more efficient than maybe they would have under you know a longer timeline and really what we found with the study is is the business volumes are coming back um the industry has a similar footprint in the state in terms of the dollars generated but the jobs have not responded commensurately with with what we would expect to see if we were going back to, let's say, metrics that existed in the industry in 2014 or 2012. Let me jump so, in for just a second right yeah. there. 
Did you guys flesh that out at all? I know that's not your job or it might not have been part of the study, but that's a key indicator that the, the volume is coming back, but you said the jobs necessarily aren't. So to me, that says that technology is really showing its, its, its potential, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter. But to me, that sounds like, you know, if the volume is coming back, but yet maybe the workers or the, the, that sort of thing isn't, that they figured out a way to streamline technologically, either through automation or artificial intelligence or something like that. Is it, are you following me at all with that? Well, there's, there's no doubt that technology is playing a huge role in that. Um, you know, you can break the industry out into, into the two main employment categories. One would be production of oil and gas. The other one is development of oil and gas. And we're seeing efficiencies in both halves of the industry. Now, some of those efficiencies are represented by the fact that, that you can put a well in the ground and have it up and running in a shorter time period than you used to with the same amount of labor. So that makes, that makes things more efficient. We're also finding that the industry can do things now that require a lot less labor than they did in the past. Some of that's infrastructure. Um, some of that has to do with the fact that more and more of the wells are now being hooked up with gathering lines and, and that we have what we expected to have back in, you know, when the industry was expanding, but the infrastructure had not caught up. So it's, it's kind of a multitude of things. Technolo technology is playing a big role in that. Um, infrastructure is playing a big role in that. Um, and, you know, while we didn't get into the specific jobs that are that are being affected the most. Um, what we looked at was kind of economy or, you know, industry level type of metrics, which was showing that, you know, the, the number of jobs that the industry needed from the production side was less than what we would have had if we were looking at the same situation, say five years ago. One of the trends that I noticed in your study that I kind of earmarked as something I think people across the country and people in North Dakota specifically would like to know that it seems that the uh, petroleum industry investment into, indus into infrastructure has uh, gone down significantly from the peak, was it, $3.4 billion back in 2013, 2011, $2.8 billion, 2015, $2.6. But the most recent one, 2017, $1.9 billion. So has our infrastructure... Is, is is that just because of the downturn, or I, I guess I'm curious, because I keep hearing about all these big projects, you know, the Permian's got 85 gajillion dollars worth of projects, and I heard that, you know, North Dakota does too, but um, your numbers seem to think there's a decline there. Well, what we observed was was the, the amount of dollars going into uh, infrastructure development is down from the peaks that we saw in previous studies. Now, some of that may be that, that, yes, we are getting certain elements of infrastructure in, in western North Dakota caught up. Um, what we kind of saw with the numbers that we collected was that the industry is still expanding infrastructure in those cases where it needs to meet uh, an increase in some type of output, whether it's gas, whether it's oil. Um, you know, and so we're dealing with uh, pipeline takeaway capacities, uh, gas processing volumes. We're still seeing investment in those infrastructures. Where we're kind of seeing infrastructure fall off is in in you know the development of the other types of things that the, the industry was putting money into here five five eight years ago. So 
the industry is still still putting in infrastructure. They're still spending a, a fairly considerable amount of money. It's just that uh, it's more targeted now to changes in production. Mr. Dean Bangson, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dean Bangson with NDSU. He's a research scientist. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist, about the impact of the petroleum industry on the region. And in your report, I see that where you've got gas processing plants, midstream crude oil pipelines, and you've even got water treatment, housing, that sort of thing. And and um, there's still good investment, gas processing plants, crude oil pipelines, midstream, and then gathering systems. You're right. Then it's just the rest are like non-existent. I don't even see crude oil rail loading, water treatment, housing lodging, and miscellaneous. There's really nothing there. Boy, those really fell off, huh? Well, if you think about it, I mean, we've added... We've added oil capacity, oil takeaway capacity, and, and you know I would direct in individuals interested in learning more about that to the North Dakota Pipeline Authority. Justin Kringstead has got all kinds of statistics on that, but we haven't had the need to build any more rail loading facilities. Um, we've added takeaway capacity with the with the pipelines that have gone in and are recently online. Oil production uh, has reached an all time high but those highs are just slightly higher than where we were. So it's not as if we've doubled oil production. So incrementally, you know, we've been adding capacity to take that oil away, but it's been in the form of, 
of pipeline capacity, not rail capacity. Um, you, you know, the the housing issue, depending on who you talk with, is is still and it still can be a problem. But the but the companies are not investing heavily in the work camps and the temporary lodging arrangements that we saw that were such an issue in 210 to 214 when when we had a flood of workers coming into western north dakota and we had nowhere nowhere to house them um housing has in in some capacities caught up i shouldn't say caught up it makes it sound like it's it's we're right exactly where we need to be that's that's a a whole other study in itself but so there, there stands the reason that we're not going to see as much investment in some of those areas that we had in the past Transitioning to job service, by the way, Dean Banks, an NDSU research scientist on the line with us here. And what we're talking about is the economic impact study of petroleum sector in North Dakota's economy, which we all know has been powering the upper Midwest for about a decade now. But uh, boy, did you know that, by the way? Um, I remember a couple years ago, petroleum industry brought Stephen Moore into town. And I've checked in the next couple years, it was the same thing. But the only industry that's added jobs a net gain of jobs over the last 10 years is the mining industry, which is the oil and gas industry. Every other industry's lost jobs. And I always found that very interesting to me. And so whenever I talk about job development and when I talk about that sort of thing, I like to keep that in mind because what we're about to talk about is the job service distribution of petroleum industry employment. And it's part of the study. And it's, it's for me, and you can disagree with me and tell me to jump off a cliff, but it's hard to, to me, it's hard to say mining only has X amount because the petroleum industry so, it's it just, it, it's impact and its ripples go so far beyond um, what they get credit for. And so when I look at these job distribution things, I kind of, I kind of look at them halfway and think, okay, well, if you took away mining, at 50%, how would that impact the rest of those jobs? Do you, do you get what I mean by that? Well, I think, you know, when we when we do these studies, we're, we always attempt to look at jobs in two capacities. One one are the, the jobs that are actively involved in the, the industry itself. So if we were to talk about jobs that the industry is providing, um, we could think of individuals with the, the drilling rigs, fracking crews, uh, those guys running truck, um, we're looking at the people that are servicing the wells, the workovers, those are, are people working gas plants. Those are, those are jobs in the industry. And then we also want to take a look at, okay, how does the industry affect jobs that are related to the business activity of the industry? Those are indirect jobs. And then we have all the jobs associated with the consumption of goods and services by people that work in the industry. Those are induced jobs. So what we want to look at here is, is what are the, or what is the total amount of job support created in the industry um, within the state of North Dakota? And so when you look at that perspective, um, the industry has had a huge presence in the state. Um, even if you were to ignore, let's just say we, we decided we don't want to talk about uh, secondary jobs and want to look at just jobs in the industry. Um, we had, you know, here uh, back in 2014, it was estimated we had over 90,000 jobs, direct employment in the industry. Um, and so the, the size of the industry when measured in terms of labor 
and compare it back to the size of the state's economy is a reason why we've seen such big shifts in employment in the state is that we don't have a state that's large enough to absorb all of that. Uh, basically, the industry has gone up and down the last, well, since 2014, went down at 215, finished its bottom at 216, came up, came up again at 218. And if we look at that same trend, it, it, it it's there with the state-level employment. So we've got... We've got net, we, we have <clears throat> other industries in the state, but they're not changing their employment <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a way that even remotely influences the up and down that we're seeing with the petroleum industry. So where are we at with the petroleum industry? Just from, let's just vertical them for a second. You know, we're talking 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. 2016 was kind of the, was, was that... That was a little bit of a down year, 15 down year. So where are we at with the jobs in terms of this study? What did you see with the just the energy industry? Well, I think if I can if I can paint the canvas here for just a second, when we did the first study, we we had a, an estimate of about 5,000 jobs that were in the industry and supported in the state. And we all know that those numbers grew rapidly and, and grew to a level that nobody really has ever seen in North Dakota. We've never seen growth like that before. Then what happened was we had a huge price collapse and then it bottomed in 216. So what I like to do is I say, okay, if we were to go back to the 216 level, let's say that that oil production and development out there really slowed down and that was going to be the new normal. How much growth have we seen from when things were first measured to where we're at in 216 and direct employment 216 was about 31,000 jobs so we went you know from well let's just do the same metric and so when we looked at secondary employment we and combine it with direct we had 47 we estimated at 47,000 jobs so we have an industry that went from about 5,000 to 47,000 in a 10-year period now most people would argue that 216 was an unusually low year and I would say yeah it was we had uh, I don't remember the exact rig count, but we had we had a, a fraction of the rigs working in the state, but we were still dealing with you know 13,000 wells. So if we look at that from that standpoint, the industry has maintained uh, a size that I think is larger than what a lot of people thought. Um, and then now looking at 17 and 18, uh, we're back uh, north of 55,000 jobs in the state in 2018. So it kind of speaks to the to the how that we've grown the industry, and it, it's not entirely being driven by oil development. So if we were to pull all the rigs out of the state, or at least the vast majority of them, and we look at what's remaining for employment, we still have an industry that's approaching 50,000 jobs. Mr. Dean Bangson, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick pause when we come back. We're going to continue the conversation with Dean Bangson with NDSU. He's a research scientist. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe.
historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist, about the impact of the petroleum industry on the region. So a study came out with Jade Stone Consulting, Jade Stone Consulting, Excuse me, I slurred my words there for a second after drinking coffee. Um, and it had to do with the amount of revenue the oil and gas industry uh, created for the state. Are you familiar with that study? I have, I have looked at it. Um, okay, that's I it. That's all I want to know. I haven't, and, I haven't spoke with anybody on it, but yeah, no. I did look at the numbers. And, and the general gist is about half of the budget comes from the oil and gas industry. Is that what you took from, took from it in terms of a very shallow not even a toe in the water look at that study. Is that what you kind of took away, or was that something else? Well, I think the the total volume of dollars uh, that flow into the state coffers from the industry, we know it's high. Um, we know that it, it is by far the most dollars of any industry in the state that we've measured to this point. Um, I think one of the things that that, that study spoke to me about was how integrated all of the areas of the state are with the distribution of the dollars that are put forth by the industry. And so you can look at the volume of dollars or you can look at how those dollars are distributed. I, I tend to look at it because I've already, I already understand the share of the state revenues that come from the oil and gas industry, but I looked at the distribution as, as, as a very big story from that study, um, that and- we're seeing those dollars flow every county is receiving money from from the oil and gas industry or redistributed funds that that came into the state from the from the industry i thought it was a really important study and um i know i it was referred to as you know pr agency and a political study and that's i didn't take it as that I, i i understand it was used as political fodder but at the end of the day i thought it was a very non-biased non-political study did you, i mean is that is that am i out of line for thinking that or was it a political study i i don't have any reason to believe it was political um right i i, I, I know it was paid for by an ad agency i know that but i mean it didn't it did that did not seem to detract away now i don't want to get stuck on this so i'm sorry i, I brought it up the reason i brought oh, up no, the, I, I, <laughs> you, I, you I, understand I, what i'm I, trying to do here yeah my my perception of what the study did was it went back and it attempted to count dollars that had been distributed. It didn't. It didn't me- measure or come forward and try to say 
well, the dollars that went to Watford City are more valuable than the dollars that went to Devil's Lake. Right, exactly. Um, and it didn't, it didn't try to say that the western part of the state is getting more money than the east. It didn't make any value judgments based on, on the dollars. What I saw was an attempt to actually go in and record the dollar flows that have been occurring. And to the extent that that study relied on actual data, um, I would have to say there was very little political overtone from the, the methodology standpoint, what happens after the information is released, of course, that's, that's once it enters the public domain, I mean, you know, everybody can use the information for different purposes. But That was a hard I study, I think, for, I think that was a hard study for people to swallow because what it showed was how much the state is reliant on oil and gas revenues. That's what I really took away from that was like, I was shocked at how, reliant so many counties including cass county which is on the opposite side of the state how reliant they really are to those oil and gas revenues that that's that's what i took away from the study was that well that that's the distribution i'm referring to is is right. just the voluminous <laughs> i don't know that's not a really good way of saying it but the the magnitude of the distributions were substantial throughout the entire state and i think that's I think that is something that is probably not readily visible because a lot of a lot of people don't spend time worrying about what the local governments where their revenues come right. from. They're more interested in, in you know what do I have to pay? What's my tax rate? You know, they look at things from the contributing side, not the receiving side. And you know, those that track the flow of dollars um, look at it both ways. And when you look at it from the flow of dollars. Um, it has a much bigger presence in, in our local governments than what most people probably realized. So the reason why, by the way, that's Brent Boger with Jadestone Consulting is the gentleman who did the study. That available that study is available at thecrudelife.com or our YouTube. I just go to our YouTube page or our Facebook page. That's the easiest way to find it. Uh, it's a couple months ago we did that interview if you'd like to know more on it. But the reason I prefaced it, was because you guys had a few slides in your study on government revenues paid by the petroleum industry. So I wanted to flesh out the micro before we talked about, I imagine you did the macro, is that correct? Yeah, what we looked at um, was we categorize revenues into kind of the, where does the revenue come from? Is it a sales tax, is it an income tax, is it severance tax? And that's the mechanism through which we measure the dollars. Um, we're not looking at the funds they go into, nor the, the rules behind how those dollars are used. What we're looking at is, is how big was the garden hose or how big was the fire hose that, you know, that, that moved the dollars into the state coffers. And so from that standpoint, yeah, we attempted to track uh, basically both the taxes paid directly by the industry and tax collections that stem from the secondary business volume. Uh, talking to the, to the point about the government revenues paid by the petroleum industry, um, the ones that are most visible, or at least garner uh, a, a tremendous amount of scrutiny and, and, and constant observation is the severance taxes. And what we found over the course of the, third, over the seven studies um, that we've done is that that has remained and probably in all likelihood will remain the single largest source of revenues produced by the oil and gas industry in North Dakota. 
And that was Dean Bangson with NDSU. He's a research scientist there. And the name of the study, again, is the Economic Impact Study of the Petroleum Sector on North Dakota's Economy. Of course, those links will be available at thecrudelife.com. And the reason for that is this interview and other exclusive interviews can be found at thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. We're asking you to be a part of our social media family. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, even the YouTubes. We've got our entire social media network available at thecrudelife.com, and you click on the social media tab. And that's going to do it for today's program, folks. I'd like to thank Dean Bankson for coming on today's program. He'll be back tomorrow with the second half of this interview. We just scratched the surface. Can you believe it? How time flies when you are getting richer and you are getting more information. You're growing inside. You're growing your pocketbook. And you know what? You're probably even growing your house a little bit too, adding on uh, uh, here and there, that sort of thing. So thank you very much, Dean Bankson, for joining us. And we'll be talking to you tomorrow as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. Of course, if you're streaming us online, we thank you as well. And then the podcast, when it drops, feel free to download us at iTunes or the other locations we're at. We're at like 50 different iTunes locations. I wish I could name uh, podcast locations. I wish I could tell them all to you. But honestly, I find a new one every day because we have like a couple links that we put in different areas and they just disseminate out to all kinds of different places. I mean, I saw like I was on rural radio or something like that the name of it was but hey we'll take it absolutely that's the beauty of our programs we we want to inform the masses we want to inform the masses so if if somebody wants to rebroadcast our program no problem no problem because we have original content we have original interviews that's why people listen that's why people want to rebroadcast our program and that's why our social media is well over 350,000 from the staff at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. 
and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 